I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Michael here. A bit of a preamble before we uh, listen to the interview with Tim Harrington. Well, not we as a group, like you, you on your own. I mean, you can come over to my place. We can do it. It'll be fine. But interview with Tim Harrington, who played at North Melbourne, uh, Western Bulldogs and Collingwood. Um, but first things first. The Junk Time AFL Podcast is brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile Footy Live, the ultimate AFL app for every type of footy fan. It's our go-to app. That's true, Adam. Adam's not here. So that we never miss a minute of the AFL season, search for Sportsmate in the App Store or Google Play to download Footy Live today. I'm looking at it right now because the Demons are taking on the Giants. That's a pretty good match, actually. It's Big Mummy. It's it's a really good match. They look really sharp uh, sharp and young. Um, Viney's had 15, um, Shield 14, Oliver 13, Jones 11, Scully 11, oh, Heater, Heater's had 11, uh, and that, that's all off the, uh, Footy Live app. Now, our live show, so we're kicking off tomorrow, Sunday, March 27, Easter Sunday, when the Lord rose from the dead, Easter Sunday, check it out, the Imperial Hotel, 3.30pm, 10 buck tickets, for an hour of laughter from ourselves, Adam and Michael and um, uh, Dave Thornton and uh, Limo. So Limo uh, being a regular guest before. Dave Thornton debuting, making his debut. Oh, gee, we've got to get in the circle, throw the uh, throw the Gatorade on him. Uh, uh, Melbourne dudes know him as uh, Fox FM, breakfast radio hosts and uh, a stand-up uh, extraordinaire. Now, also, check out Adam's show, too, during the Comedy Festival. Life hack. Check that out. It's at ACME, Federation Square, 945. You should check that out. All the details at comedyfestival.com.au. Um, now, I don't think we mentioned on the podcast. I think I've forgotten, but um, we've got a tipping competition going again this year, um, like we did last year. If you want to head to footytips.com.au, type in junk time, space, AFL, space, podcast. It should come up. It should come up. Um it's been complicated doing that because I'm doing it from one email account, another email account, bloody hell. But we've got a whole bunch of dudes on board for that, so uh, get into it. So live shows are going to be happening uh, every Sunday for the next four weeks, so tomorrow and then uh, April 3, April 10, April 17. We're going to have many guests. We're locking them in, locking them in uh, from the world of comedy and also uh, from the world of football. We've got some, I think we've got some interesting dudes coming up, so it should be quite fun. Um, so, in the words of in the words of the, uh, the 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 Triple M commentary team, get around us, hey, get around us, mm, get around him. Okay, Tim Harrington interview happening now. See you at the live shows. Hello and welcome to the Junk Time Afro Podcast. We're coming to you from Wayne Jackson Studios. My name is Michael Chamberlain. Joining me is Adam Rosenbachs. G'day, Michael. How are you? Good, mate. Good, Good on mate. you. I'm really happy to hear that. Fired up for the year to begin. Only a week to go. Well, Carlton are going to be playing, so not really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And joining us are a very special guest for all the Junk Times out there. Another special interview. Joining mm. us is uh, Tim Harrington. 
Tim Harrington. Hello, Tim. How you going, boys? Now, going well. Tim, we uh, should have a name for this segment. Like, there's open mic. Uh, should yeah. be open junk time. Open junk. <laughs> open junk. Yeah, there you go. Get your junk out. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay. So the first guest on Get Your Junk Out. So I'm honoured. Tim, uh, you have had... We're looking at the, the tail of tape here. You've got a 30-year career uh, in the VFL, AFL, everything from... Uh, playing at North Melbourne, Collingwood, Footscray, back when it was Footscray, the good oh, yeah. old days. The glorious. Yes. And then uh, assistant coach at Footscray, assistant coach at North Melbourne, football manager at North Melbourne, list manager at Melbourne. Uh, every single thing. Why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> You've missed one of, one, of my, uh, one of my roles that uh, the players at North Melbourne um, bestowed on me uh, was a very significant role. I actually got a business card that they made up. It was um, general manager strategic positioning of the spherical devices and I didn't sort of understand what that meant and what they were getting at but basically they were having a crack at me because they reckon all I did was move the witch's hats. (laughs) So uh, that was an official title. Someone have to. And to to give people like kind of context of what you are, you do stuff for Triple R, you're a little bit of a rock rock dog, you like your, you know... Oh, not a a rock dog. Not a rock dog. No, megahertz, rock dog's the enemy. Oh, sorry. Yes. Sorry, but you you like your alternative music kind of thing. Absolutely. So you are, I'm going to put it this out there, you are the original Bob Murphy. He has stolen your bit. Bob Murphy, you thief. I've thought that over the journey. Now that you bring it up, but it's never been made public, but yeah, that'd be a your, fair assumption. Yeah. And so it's your intellectual property. In your playing days, we've got a friend of the show, Declan Fay, uh, kind of put us on to you uh, to get you on the show, but um, in your playing days, you were heading off to the, 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 the pubs at night after the game. Uh, yes. Were you a bit different to the regular players? Well, regular players, yes. Uh, I've always been interested in live music, so mm. I'd much prefer to go and see a band rather than go to a nightclub. Yep. Yep. Uh, however, the lure of drink cards in those days yep. was fairly significant to a university student. Mm-hmm. So if I could plan the evening so I could get into uh, an establishment that did open its doors up to footballers and then get out of, the, out of there in some sort of orderly fashion or still wasn't too shabby i'd get off and see a band pretty regularly yeah. so you started in the 80s so where did your head was that uh the was it inflation back then the hippodrome was that around uh, inflation certainly was underground uh-huh. the underground was it called i think in so. king street yep but the tunnels came into vogue yep. uh towards the latter part of my playing days regimes was that was that one? oh yes regimes yes where that was, was that? in my local area that's in that uh, was in Puckle Mooney street Ponds. in Ponds. that became yes. cactus club where i used to go that's where you used to see rowan smith and brad johnson okay yeah uh, regimes was was great and then uh regimes would close at two o'clock and straight up the road to um the pizza place that name esca- the name escapes me where you could still get a bit of a drink and fall asleep in your pizza at about four o'clock in the morning lovely Lovely. Yes. So let's talk about your playing career. So you started in the in '84 at the Kangas. Yes, I played nineteens uh, in '82, reserves '83. Yep, and then seniors in '84. Yeah. Wow. And what what do you think of the under nineteens? Like you know, now it's all under eighteens. Do you think that extra year is of huge benefit to uh, a young player coming through? I love the under-19s because you actually got to train at the club and so uh-huh. that you were there with the senior group. Yep. That's a good point. And That's training really good point. Yeah. before them. Uh, got to know them in a loose sort of way so that if you did get uh, elevated into the, onto the senior list, you already had exposure to the people who were there. And could you be elevated during a season? if you were no. playing? Okay, so if you're killing in the 19s, you couldn't play for the seniors? No, you still had to be on the senior list. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. You could go to the reserves, uh-huh. which was great. Yep. 
because uh, then you get to play before the seniors. Yeah. So you go from a 17-year-old kid playing with your local club and within 12 months you're playing before a senior game at Princess Park or Windy Hill or the MCG. Yeah, at Arden Street. So you could be dodging a, an elephant on the half-forward flank. <laughs> yes, or uh, the old standard... Um, alumin- not they weren't aluminium cans in those days. The proper UBU steel cans. Steel cans. Piffed over the fence as well. People well, threw cans. In the reserves they did, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you missed that. Not really. You ever get hit? No, no, no. I was smart enough to stand uh, well, reasonable way away. Yeah. Yes. So you spent most of your time in defence, would that be right? Yes. What kind of key position or on a flank? or Fullback. Yep. Yeah, that's where all the... Non-talented people go. You always start as a forward or a midfielder in uh-huh. your junior days. Uh, and then yeah. when you get to an AFL level, they sort out the blokes who can and can't, and I was a can't, so down the back. So full back. So in that era from 84 to 90 when you're uh, playing seniors. Yep. So you would have played on everyone. Dunstall, Ablett, Bernie Quinlan kicked 11 goals one day. <laughs> no way. But I, I do like to just um, backtrack a bit. He kicked... I started on him. He kicked... Four, I think, in the first quarter, uh-huh. and I got shifted naturally. And Ross Glendinning went on to him, and he kicked five on Ross. And oh, then that's good. Fortunately, uh, the coach of the day, Barry Cable, then thought, "Well, we're not going to win, and yeah. he might um, give me a bit more confidence by putting me back onto Bernie Quinlan." He kicked another couple just okay. to um, even it out a bit. When, ha- when you are in that position, sorry, Michael. Oh. When you are in that position and someone's booted four on you really quickly, are you hoping to get moved off him then? Yes, you're looking for the runner. You're just looking over to the bench to say, yeah. "Please, Dra- get me yeah, away yeah, from him." Yeah, I, I can't stand this. <laughs> so, you got recruited from Oak Park. Uh, Who wore North Melbourne colours? Is that why? We were in the North Melbourne zone. We would have been in the zone oh, then. Yeah. So you had no choice. Right. But uh, I was a North Melbourne supporter. Because I grew up in the zone, yep. you just naturally barrack for the team that you... Okay. You're, well, that's what, that's how I did it. And yep. my, uh, I had a family connection too. And so how do they go about recruiting you? Who pats you on the top? They the have talent scouts who look at the, the local um, the games. And then I was fortunate enough that the president of my local club was also a talent scout. And every team gets two players to come and represent them to go down to North Melbourne. We had eight from Oak Park because uh, our president pulled his influence. <laughs> and so I was fortunate enough to be one of the people who got asked to go down and train with the uh, under-19s mm-hmm. and um, just made it from there. And that was a fair team back then. I think North finished top of the ladder in 83. Yep. And then Bombed 84. Out in the finals. Actually, I looked it up. They, I think they won five games in 84. And so Cable got... Uh, got knife that year yes at the end of that year what was he like to he was great because he went through success with those all those great north melbourne players he's an amazing player wasn't he yeah he's an amazing player yeah just absolutely committed Mm. Um, the most skillful person i've seen yeah yeah even when he was retired and he was coaching he was still just magnificent with the ball in his hand after the interview i'll show you a few tapes of me playing (laughs) (laughs) uh but then the team crashed and burnt 83, missed, went badly in the finals and then a lot of retirements and the club then made the decision to bring in a lot of youngsters, so that's when I got a crack. Yeah. Yeah. Did you play with Blighty? No. You missed him? Missed him. Oh, what but a shame. Dempsey, Dent, Schimmelbush, Greg, some of the so North Melbourne greats. Yeah, yeah. crackers. Well, you, did you have, when you got, did you know how to get the shin bone of spirit? Uh, Was that handed to you? Was there a ceremony? There is. It's a secret ceremony. Uh-huh. It's not allowed to be discussed in public, but... Um, yeah, I got it very early days. Yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> I like it. And then uh, John Kennedy came along, one of the absolute greats of coaching. What was he like to – did you just think, who's this crazy old man? Yes, he was a very stern man, yep. man of few words, deliberately, and he would give you an instruction that you thought might have had – more meaning to it and you'd ask him a little bit more about what he actually meant yep. and he'd just repeat what he said the first time and then walk away. So quite often if he said that someone from the opposition had given us a bit of trouble before yep. uh, and I sp- specifically remember an incident of a player who was throwing his fists around a bit and John said he'd, he'd given us a bit of trouble before and we don't want to let that happen again and then he walked away and I thought, does he want me to hit him? <laughs> what, what does that actually mean? I'm not sure what's going on. And did you just go out there and snap him? I didn't the know. So I had to go and ask teammates. And ask, oh. <laughs> so are you over the moon when you get word that Kennedy's coming to the club? Oh, without doubt. He's got like this guy with pedigree up the yin-yang. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. So Don't think, do. So do you think we're on board? So you, you were there for – you got two years under him? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. so – yeah, you played 20 games all up in North. Would a lot of them have been in your first year? or? Yes, I think early days I got into the team and we were young and uh, and got a good look in. And mm-hmm. then two years after, the next two years after that, I struggled. Okay. Yeah. What do you put that down to? Lack of talent. <laughs> okay. No, I put it down to lack of direction from Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, you didn't understand what the old fool was saying. I think you probably should have hit that bloke. He <laughs> <laughs> would have got four games. <laughs> he does what I say. <laughs> Don't think. Hit. Um, and so, uh, 86, uh, you get moved on from North Melbourne and you go to Collingwood. Uh, what's that transition? How, are you shopped, shopped around? Are you That's pre-draft and pre... It was really odd in those days. So I did pre-season at North in 87. Mm-hmm. And then the first two rounds of that year played for North. So I'm in the 1987 North Melbourne team photo. Mm. So the rules are different then. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, got told that I was no longer required at North. And then uh, I got approached by... Fitzroy and Collingwood and thought Collingwood would be probably yep. the, the steadier one to go to. So I went to Collingwood. but uh, And that was under Lee Matthews. Yeah. And he was just a sensational coach. Even then, I think it was only his second year of coaching. Uh, he went there in 86, yeah. 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 So uh, he was great. He was fantastic coach. I'd, it was a very, very different club, a very big club, obviously, even then. And they weren't going so well, from what I can remember. Uh, however... Uh, compared to North, which is a very small club and um, more of a, oh, it just felt like a local sort of club. Collingwood was like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't lend myself to Collingwood as best as I could have. I was still going out with my North mates a lot of the time while I was playing at Collingwood. Cause still I grew wearing up a North blokes. jumper down to training, that kind of thing. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't probably a good <laughs> thing yeah. to do. End of, the, so. end of the game, you go, join in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you say Matthews is great. Uh, can you give us a few reasons why he was so special? He had a really uh, basic sort of game plan, but he had a game plan. It was something that you knew that on the field you knew what he wanted you to do. Yeah. Um, so he was much more ahead of his time than what some of the other coaches okay. I've been exposed to at that stage. And if he said someone had given us trouble, you knew what he meant? Just well, I think probably Lee would probably be the one who would fix up the trouble, <laughs> yeah, I would okay. suspect. Yep. He wouldn't rely on his players <laughs> so much. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a very honest, um, direct, you knew where you stood... Uh, he had those beady little eyes that could stare right through you if you're in strife. So mm. you knew exactly what he was thinking. Are there any coaches that you ever played on? Because you went to Footscray after that. And I'm not uh, 
you know, saying that it might have happened under these coaches. Any coaches who didn't give you direct feedback like that, who you just, you know, you'd get dropped and you had no idea why? Because obviously, you know, uh, Kennedy was very honest. Matthew sounds very honest. You played under Mick Malthouse, who I imagine is very direct as well. Yes. Is that part of being a coach? You just got to tell it like it is? Yes. I think later on, when I was coaching myself, it's probably the more inexperienced coaches who aren't as direct as what they should be. Yep. But as you get experience as a coach, you, you realise you've just got to tell it as it is. Yeah. So James Hurd should have just said what was being what's in the syringes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And should have been happy. up front. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah, all exactly. would have known. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you go to Victoria Park. I find it fascinating. So the, the transition probably from fans as well, from the North fans to the Collingwood fans. You would have heard some colourful things uh, from Collingwood fans over the fence, surely. Yes, and playing at Victoria Park was an experience, a fantastic yeah. experience. Yeah. But also the supporters after the game at Collingwood in the social club. Uh, I had uh, money put into my hand. Oh, People wait. shake your hand and give you money after the game. Really? Yes. Yeah. How much in those days? Like in the late 80s? Oh, you I get like can't 20, really 50? remember. It might have been $20 or yep. something. Yeah, a little paper 20? Yeah. Uh, well done. Well played. That's I great. Thought, How good's this? Yeah. You know, here's wow. my match payment. Double match payments. Yeah, that's great. Wonderful. At so North that, they, that, at North that didn't happen at North. North they'd come up saying, you got 20 bucks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here's, a, uh, here's a two cent coin I found. <laughs> Isn't that great? And you're walking into, you know, so... How would you get to the ground, actually? Because the parking's not great around Victoria Park. Did you catch the train in? Oh, no. No? No, no, no. There was a... He's a Collingwood player. At Victoria Park, you parked in the school grounds next door. And Ah, it was a a real... A badge of honour to have a car park that got you into the school grounds next door. Uh And they were like hen's teeth. You had to guard them with your life. Um, But... You fixed it to the inside of your windscreen, and uh, hopefully, when you come out after the game, that your <laughs> you car was still there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the windshield's not broken because the fans could quickly identify who the yeah. players were because you had this particular sticker in your on yeah. your windscreen. And so, would Alan McAllister have been the president then? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Much I don't memory really remember. of him? No. No. I obviously, didn't make a great impression if yeah. he was the president. I think he was. But you would have had great players. So, like, I mean, that was that, that's the that was the beginning of the beginning of the big era, yeah, wasn't it? Yes. Definitely. Yeah, that, so that days. was the premiership players: Pants and um, Jamie Turner, Shorey. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. All, all of the premiership players. Oh, Ned Kelly hadn't started there by that stage. Yep. Monkey. Yes. Yep. Dakes. Yeah, Dakes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what, the whole box of dice. What's Darren Mullane like? What was he like? Well, I, I my really strong recollection was uh, there's two people who I've come across. Not just in footy, I reckon in life, almost superhuman, uh-huh. uh, and he was one of them. Uh, and I say that because he just had this physical ability to always look immaculate. Um, you'd be out with him the night before and know that you, everyone was going to be ragged, and he'd turn up to recovery sessions the next morning, smelling like roses and just looking a million dollars. And uh, he just held himself so well. Um, so physically, he was just this. You know, one out of the box, uh, and he was just a tremendous fella too. Yeah. He, he was very um, engaging and always included people in the conversation. So, yeah. any sort of social situation you're in, that he um, he didn't know someone, he'd make sure he introduced himself and bring them into the into the conversation. You know, I'd rock up with some of my mates, and he'd make sure they felt welcome and just a, a really good, yeah, wow, down to earth sort of fella. So that would have been the most probably the most shocking thing you'd ever gone through as a footballer like just to hear of when he you know passed away yes particularly as i said someone who you think is almost superhuman yeah uh so really that goes to show doesn't it you um 
his tragic circumstance can happen to anyone if you're not um, if you're not careful. And I suppose late at night, driving, mm. drinking. That's a did you guys ever get show. on it before a game? Like in the d- night before a game, or you'd be night? careful about nah, that? Nah, professionals. But yes, yeah, and I, I was always a struggler, so I had to do everything yeah. I could. So <laughs> yeah, no, okay. I wasn't wasn't drinking before games. Yep. What no. would have been the Friday night routine? Would it be you know bowl of pasta and a? Oh, didn't KB hit the fish and chip shop? Wasn't that his thing? Yes, that was his thing. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone has their own superstitions and yeah. their own individual preparation. I was pretty disciplined. I was a bit of an Elmer, so I had to really look after what I was doing. Would you have had a much direction from the club in that regard? No. They, that process hadn't begun with the dietitians no. and the like? Oh, sorry, we did have dietitians, but it was pretty pretty, pretty basic. loose. Yeah, yeah. And pretty yeah. basic. So it was all carbs and, mm-hmm. and trying to stock up. Before a game, and yeah, be, you know, have a good breakfast and all those sort of things. Yeah, it'd be bad. Like if you did, if you were superstitious and you'd done something odd the night before, and then you kicked eight. Like you know, if you had a wank in a park, <laughs> and then you're like, oh no, I've booted eight. I've got to do this on a weekly basis now. Just you know, for the good of the team, Michael. I know you're doubting me. Sorry about that, Tim. <laughs> so if, no, just because Tim lives near me. So if you see him in the park, it's because I've had a good I'll gig the night yeah, before. Yeah, I'll be st- yeah. staying clear. What was uh, Shorey like? So he would have been captain uh, of the club at that stage. Uh, was he a terrific leader? Yes, just yeah. a yapper. Yeah, always in your. Oh, ear. he would have been mouthy, wouldn't he? On yes. the field, some of the stuff he would have said. Yeah, yeah. on and off. He's a type of bloke who really didn't have much filter, so he'd just say what was on his mind. <laughs> like so me. A lot of things that people wouldn't say, they'd think, yeah, but they'd... not actually say. He'd verbalise it, yeah. and in a very direct and uh, but disarming sort of way. So you never felt, I never felt particularly offended by what he was saying. It was just he was wanted to give you some feedback, and he'd give it to you there and then. Yeah. What were yeah. some of the better sledges you heard on the ground, like whether from Shorey or did you, were you a big sledger? Uh, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. I wasn't good enough to sledge. And I, yeah. I suppose um, the ones that, that I remember most have come from other people. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I do remember a great one. It wasn't necessarily a sledge, but uh, when I was coaching at North Melbourne, I, I was a runner for a couple of years. Yep. And I happened to be on the field when uh, Glenn Archer was playing against Matthew Richardson. I love Richo champion fellow and champion player obviously but every time we played Richmond Archie'd pick up Richo yep and uh and David King who is a yapper yeah. who was a yapper on the field he used to love just letting Richo know that Archie was around about and that any time he went near the ball that Archie was going to sick him <laughs> so I was on the field one time when a long ball came in and uh, I heard Archie screaming out to sorry I heard Kingy screaming out to Archie Kill him, kill him, as the ball was in the air. And Richo, unfortunately, ran about three or four metres under the ball and just <laughs> it, it looked terrible, but King was laughing his head off. And I had a bit of a laugh too. Um, not to say that Richo wasn't a courageous no, player. Absolutely. Archie just... Uh, but, you know, it's Glenn Archie. You've got to think of your future. Yes. Was yeah. that a, a tactic when you're, doing, you're in a coach and you're a runner so you can do a bit of coaching while on the field? It was... At that stage... That, I don't know if that would be allowed now, would it? It's not. Yeah. So, so you would cheat, yes. is what I'm hearing. And so in fact, essentially your premiership era is tainted. <laughs> well, many things now. In those years we had... It was either Congratulations, Carlton and Sydney, Sydney Swans yes. on the premiership. Station. Yes. <laughs> we had a $10,000 fine over our heads, a suspended fine, because uh, we got done for coaching on the field mm-hmm. right. as a runner. And then a year or two later they brought in a rule, the AFL brought in a rule that you couldn't be a coach, an assistant coach and the runner. You had yep. to um, 
perform other duties. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right, so we'll skip ahead a bit. So then after Collingwood, you went on to play at Footscray and you played under Mick Malthouse and Terry Wheeler. Yes. What was Mick Malthouse like? Uh, he was coming to the end of his tether at the Doggies. It was yep. pretty clear as soon as I got there, once again drafted um, at the start of the season, I believe. Did you and say Malthouse or me? No, okay. no, it wasn't like that. I was... I took a back seat to it but almost I think by mid-season there was a bit of um, friction occurring between players and coach and I thought oh no, what's going on that's here? not the Mick Malthouse <laughs> I know <laughs> uh, although he was great for me great yeah. to me yeah oh, I really respect him well as you a played coach. 18 18 in two years there did I yeah, yeah. so and you got a few games yeah mm. uh, but I got a feeling that the, the West Coast thing was always was always going to happen so he might have known I'm guessing that he might have known that he was going to be moving on. Um, and I don't think we played that well that year. I can't remember. Yep. Um, but I found him great. Yeah. Re- uh, once again, direct, um, but fierce for his players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really stuck up for his players in any way he could. Uh, did he offer, like, to keep you fit for a million dollars? Anything like that? No, that was a bit, that was a bit uh, before he became... A guru, a, the guru. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's a bargain, even for nine and eighty nine. That's pretty. That's pretty good. <laughs> eighty nine dollars. Yeah. Like Twelve million. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be worth it. So, what was the transition though when you went from Collingwood to Footscray? So, at the end of eighty seven, Collingwood taps you on the shoulder. Oh, I missed uh, eighty eight injured. Uh huh. Most of eighty eight injured. Well, you were then, still at Collingwood then. Yes. Yep. Uh, and then got delisted. Mm-hmm. I was getting used to it by that stage. Mm. Uh, and then got drafted by the Doggies, Mick for a year. But then at the end of that year was the whole merger. Yeah. Scenario. Uh, so that was a bit of a nightmare as well. Terry Wheeler came in and took over under Peter Gordon as a president, mm-hmm. and the club got reinvented. Yeah. So it was a real. Uh, unknown sort of environment. There was things happening around the club that the players didn't know about or whether the club was going to go on. I think at the end of 89, there was a whole talk about a merger with Fitzroy. Yeah, that was period, yeah. Uh, So that was all new territory and the Doggies supporters wanted to lynch Ross Oakley. Mm, There was a lot of angst between... It was Oakley. Yeah, Yeah. the bumper stickers. Yes. So uh, my memory of that was players just trying to stick to playing footy and let everything else look after itself. So it wasn't just at the end of the year when the merger talks, it was kind of during the 1989 itself that it was bubbling along? I believe so, yeah. yes. It was at the end of the year that it became uh, really forceful. Yeah. But, yeah, there was there was a lot of concern amongst the players right through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you played with the great Dougie Hawkins? Correct. Was that uh, hilarious on the field when he'd say Nyamua? <laughs> and he couldn't pronounce any other word? Was that was that He was fun? always... Entertainment on the field because he always refers to himself as the hawk. Uh-huh. And he was a real talker on the field, yeah. very vocal. Uh, and you always knew where he, w- where he was on the field because it was, kick it to the hawk, kick it to the hawk. Here's the hawk. Hawk's on the lead. <laughs> uh, very personable bloke. Yeah. A great fella. Uh, and a super football. I think he gets underrated as a footballer. Because he does, doesn't he? Because he didn't play in like the, the, you know, regularly play finals and wasn't seen at the, you know, September end of the, of the game. Yeah. And finished his career injured a lot, had bung knees. Yep. Uh, Probably the most skillful player that I saw. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, both sides of the body. Just silky smooth. Yeah. Great agility. Just great to watch. Um, and a, a talker on the field. Very amusing. Um, you're also there uh, at Footscrow with Libba. You've, you're like Forrest Gump. You've come through. <laughs> yes. the, the iconic coaches, <laughs> iconic players. It's amazing. Yeah. Libba and I played 19s together at yep. North. Okay. 
Yeah, so I knew Libba from uh, local footy and from, from North Melbourne 19s too. Yeah. So he would have been a good yapper as well? Uh, yes, although Libba copped a lot too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he copped a lot of sledging on the field himself, yep. um, including from me at different times. I thought it was hilarious to get stuck into uh, the little fella. Uh, but he gave as good as he got, not necessarily in the sledging, because I'm not sure that that come naturally to him. Uh-huh. Uh, but he was really handy at tackling blokes with a little bit extra venom and putting yep. people into the ground a bit harder than what anyone else could. Oh, but he was a tackle with grip. both fingers in their eyes. You know, that kind of stuff. Just <laughs> casual, bring them to the ground. Putting a little stank in yeah. it. So <laughs> who, were the, who were some of the best full forwards that you played on? Like, I know you said Bernie Quillen before. Did you play on Plugger? Yeah, a couple of times. And was he chirpy or was he just quiet? No. Just a no, menace. No, no, you knew no, where yeah. he was? Oh, you didn't, you didn't want to upset Plugger. Yep. Yeah. So you went out there with a the mindset, just leave him alone and just try and Well, I'll him. tell you a quick story. Um, I actually played against him Quite a few times. Yep. Um, well, three or four. And had done all right. Um, oh, Plugger wouldn't have liked that. No. <laughs> and I'm not sure that he, he even knew who I was. But round one, 1990, first game that uh, the Doggies have been resurrected. Yep. Um, so Terry Will is the coach. The team is selected with three fullbacks in the team. Rick Kennedy, Zeno Tazaris and myself, because Plugger's playing. So I'm full back. I, I get selected and I sit on the bench for the first half. Yep. So you, you know what's coming. <laughs> so Rick Kennedy starts on Plugger, pulls his hamstring halfway through the second quarter. Uh, Zeno goes onto him, and I think Plugger's kicked five at half time. So I'm sitting there at half time, sitting on the bench thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah. I know it's going to happen, so sure enough, Terry Willis says to me, OK, your turn. So I thought, what have I got to lose? He kicked five. He's yeah. probably going to kick 12 for the game. Yeah. So Snap him. I went against my natural inclination <laughs> and started yapping to him. So I ran out there and <laughs> asked him what tent company built, uh, manufactured his shorts and just anything that I could think of. It probably wasn't funny at all, but he just gave me this look <laughs> as if to say, what are you doing? Uh, so... He proceeded to kick another five, but uh, he, I reckon he really felt some pity for me because there was a picture in the paper the next day of him standing over me um, with his fingers all extended saying to me, that's oh, me 10th. Yeah. He kicked 10 uh, about halfway through the last quarter. But then I think he decided 10 was enough. Yeah. He stopped leading. Um, he started to talk to me. Yeah, right. Uh, Just having asked, a chat. Yeah, had a bit of a chat. And I thought, oh, well, <laughs> he's changed tact. I'm going to change tact. Tack too, so I had a bit of a yak to him, and um, we stood in the goal square for the rest of the game, and he didn't kick any more, so I was pretty happy. So I think there you've you've disarmed him, you've made him feel self conscious about his fat ass, <laughs> and he's just gone, oh, well, everyone hates me, I think I'm a fat so, so I just have a chat, I make some friends. Who else are the final? Uh, what about Dunstall? Because he yes. didn't, he didn't talk at all, did he? Is that right? No, he he would sledge you by talking to his teammates about you. Ah, uh, yep. Yeah, so he'd talk about That's you. That's me. And you're like, I'm right here. Yeah. yeah. I'm right here, bung. It's really <laughs> quite complicated bullying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Bernie Quinlan was the other one that really stood out. I played on Roger the Dodger. Um, oh, yeah. Roger Merritt. Yes. Yep. Oh, yeah, of course. And uh, he was menacing. But Gary Abbott was probably the one who just made you wary about where he was. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Did he talk at all, Gary Abbott? No. 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 Even to his teammates. He just did not talk. <laughs> he didn't know their names. Yeah. And my recollection was that he played without his teeth. Uh-huh. So uh, he, I'm not sure that he could actually. Oh, okay. 
Couldn't get the words out. No. Yeah. No. So, uh, but you're always very, very wary about what he was up to. Uh-huh. Yeah. He was very, very mean. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had a, through, yeah. A, a, a lovely knack of being able to run as you're chasing him. He could elbow you with each swing of the arms yeah. in the in the jaw in the midriff, and he was a strong bugger too. There are amazing forwards of that period. So. BT, would he be another one? Yeah, played against BT. Did he say, boy, oh, boy, wowee? When he came no, 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 no. Did he sell no, you no, any no. foot candy? No, he was still full of himself at that stage. <laughs> I got to know BT oh, later on. but uh, Did he dislike poofters back then? Uh, he didn't verbalise <laughs> okay, good. at that time, no. no. Isn't there famous footage when he's celebrating kind of before he even kicks the goal? I've got a feeling, was that against Footscray? You would... Um, I might, might be going sure. on the wrong tree, yeah. Uh, who else would have been there back then? So, um, another forwards. Uh, or it's Sticks? Oh, yeah, Sticks. Uh, yeah, I didn't play against him from memory. I played against uh, Justin Madden. Oh, yeah. And Warren Jones. Yep. Big Wow Big Jones. Wow Jones. Yeah. Wow Jones said to me, I kicked out from full back a couple of times. I played on yep. and ran around him on the mark because mm-hmm. he was resting full forward with Justin Madden. And uh, he very politely advised me not to do that anymore <laughs> uh, and that I might not get off the field if I decided to um, play on after a kick-in. So uh, I tried it once more and then he, he actually <laughs> physically told me and showed me exactly what he was going to do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, being a, I think I was probably 19 or 20 at that stage and yeah. thought, nah. No oh, need. Oh, there's no need. There's no need to play on. Sorry, Mr. Jones. I disrespected <laughs> you. And so in that final year, so Terry Wheeler brought a bit of a new life to the club. You know, you've gone through the merger, you've been saved, they raised the money, and then uh, it's a bit of a... And he's a Footscray boy himself too, wasn't he? Yes, he was. So he's brought a bit of new excitement, passion to the game. Yeah, and a, a really innovative coach. Oh, yeah. So he had a... The first time I'd seen a game plan that was actually um, complicated but coherent and trained it. Mm-hmm. So the drills that you did in training were actually mini versions of what was going on at the game rather than circle work or kicking drills that were just to improve yep. your skills. Uh, and he was also very, very big on trying to make uh, football professional. Uh-huh. So he was trying to get people to be full-time in football, which at that stage uh, hadn't evolved. So he was a, he was a real... Um, uh, as I said, innovator be before his time. Yeah, no yeah. one really credits him with any of that, do oh, they? He had a game plan book that um, was copied for years after yeah. by players going to different clubs. Um, he was unfortunate that he had some real um, run-ins at the time with the club president mm-hmm. and uh, was a very strong-willed person himself. Yep. Um, so he didn't get another look in at coaching. It was a real shame, I thought, mm. of, of the coaches that I've had. And being such a crap player, I had quite a few of the good ones because I got bounced from club to club. Uh, he was the most progressive coach by far. Yeah, right. Mm. And he wasn't actually at the at the club that long. I think he only got about four or five years before they got Alan Joyce in. Yes, so yeah. he was... Well, uh, been part of the run-ins with Peter Gordon. Yes, yes, correct. So he coached to a preliminary final mm. and then the next year just dipped out on finals. The year after that, round two was gone. Mm. Yeah, so oh, that's quick. Think it? of it in these, too. Yeah, in these days, win the first game, lose the second and get sacked. Yeah, yeah. And then Alan Joyce took over. That's incredible. Uh, and you talk about uh, professionalism. What kind of pay would you have been getting back in those days? As a player? Hmm. I remember I've kept the uh, the invoice for my first senior game as $350. Yeah. 
yes. Uh, and in those days, because I was a local boy, I didn't get a contract. So I was playing in the seniors in 84 without a contract. At the end of that year, I got offered a contract and uh, I, I got a car bought for me, which was... Nice. That was the biggest thing. Is yeah, that what sort? Camira? I got a Camira. You got a Camira. I Whoa, bought a Camira. And Ron Joseph, who was the secretary or the football manager at the time, said to me, um, you've got $18,000 to spend. Mum and Dad thought it was the best thing that ever happened. And I did too. And I spent $21,000 on a Camira. $21,000 on a Camira. That's outrageous. It's amazing. It? Yeah, for 84, yeah. that's like a $100,000 car. Yeah. If not more. Yeah. And then I subsequently thought it was a dud and tried to sell it only about three or four years later. But... Um, yeah, I got a car. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I was stoked. Were you getting weekly payments or did you get a kind of lump sum at the end monthly. of the year? Monthly. Okay. Yeah, because uh-huh. I was at, sh- at uni as a student, so I was getting um, monthly payments. But I, I think it was $2,000 base payment mm-hmm. for the year. So it was nothing like we're talking about today. Are you a big man on campus, being, an AF- being a VFL, AFL player while at uni? Can Not particularly. There was yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, sports people at uni doing the course that I was doing. Okay. Yeah, and um, there was much better players running around than <laughs> what I was. So, nah, didn't come into it. Now, obviously, that was a great. You played with some great players. What were your footy trips like? They would have been pretty amazing. Like you would have gone all the way to like Hawaii. No, 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 no. We we were very all... fortunate overseas nearly every year. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, exhibition games. So played in London. Um, was Bob Anset at the club then? He was. And did you get like free flights around Australia thanks to him? Not free flights, but we had uh, cars. Wherever we went, we had um, budget rented cars. And oh, yeah. Re- and uh, I remember in uh, on the Gold Coast a couple of years in a row, we had the, those U-Butte Taragos with the sunroof that yep. were uh, all the rage at the time. I thought I was um, some sort of rock star driving around the Gold Coast in a Tarago with yep. all my teammates. Yeah, unlicensed. I didn't have a license. I didn't tell anyone at that stage. I, <laughs> I didn't actually have a license. But um, yeah, the, the footy trips, fortunately for me, one of the great benefits, um, undeserved, was going on trips at the end of the year. And a lot of time it was overseas. Yeah. Yeah. So I managed to get to Europe and States and play overseas in those exhibition. Games. Oh, that would have been amazing. Like back then, there's no internet. You have no idea where you're going. You just kind of rock up to a hotel and just proceed to get hammered around local casinos. Uh, early days, that'd probably be a fair assessment. Yeah. Later on, as I matured, yep, uh, I liked. If you're overseas, I, I want to get out and see. Yep, whatever the country. So even offers. when you're an assistant coach, you still went. Uh, on the footy trip? I did that as a chaperone uh-huh. one year at North. Yep. And that was the only year I did it because okay. it wasn't a good idea. Yeah. No. You don't want to see what's going on. Uh, no, I was out of my league. Yes. <laughs> right. Completely out of my league. Yep. Um, yeah. And as assistant coach, you have to keep separate from the players yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, you can't be leading the pack. Yes. Yeah. So, no, I left that alone after, uh, after I'd finished playing. We'll move on to your uh, your coaching career shortly, but you mentioned before you have kept a diary of the football trips. I have. They've never seen the light of day. This is amazing. But this is the this is the Jake Carlos Snapchat of its day. <laughs> and it's the holy grail. Yes, and they they are from a different era. So I apologise in advance because I am going to read a little bit of one that I kept. Uh, so which trip is this on? This is uh, the Western Bulldogs, I believe. At the end of 89. So this is when the merger was all happening. It's been and we're a stressful year. Unsure yeah. whether we're actually going to survive as a, oh. a club. 
Um, and my recollection was that uh, it was a bit fragmented. There wasn't all that many players. I think there was only about 15 or 20 of us who went. And after my experience at North Melbourne, where everyone went on the uh-huh. footy trips, it was that we were down in numbers. So um, uh, it was a little bit more perhaps sedate than what others had been. So would you do this every footy trip? You'd keep a diary? Yes, but uh, I only did it for my own amusement and I was right. treated with great suspicion by my teammates. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> While you're documenting this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I've always been a bit of a, a writer. I'd like to just keep things... Um, yeah. Uh, in my mind, so training diaries and yeah, yeah. I mean, Anne Frank did the same. So yeah, and it's good lead. Yeah, so yep. uh, I did. I kept the diary of trips. <laughs> Most of it was embellished, but it was just to remember some of the fun times that you had without yep. um, without putting too much emphasis on the drinking and cavorting that goes on. And this excerpt you're about to read is where had you gone for this particular trip? Uh, we're on the Gold Coast. Goldie, good. In the yes. Turago? Uh, yeah, Turagos would have been involved. Lovely. And uh, the setup had been that we had gone to this nightclub that, unbeknownst to us, set up uh, young girls f- who worked at the establishment to be part of uh, a bit of a strip tease type environment. So what they did was they tried to entice all of the local male people or males from across the uh, area to get to this drinking fest uh, by promoting as a an amateur striptease so they get um, volunteers from the audience to come up and select your music and you'd have 10 minutes to work out what you were going to do on the sidelines and then and these girls happen to have they happen to have all their music and they had the right outfits on. Just happened to have them ready to go. Correct. Right. Okay. And they're in the audience, and uh, oh, the spotlight would go on them. Oh, and this is unbelievable. They'd go up on stage, and everyone would go ballistic. Yep. And then they'd call for male volunteers from the audience. Uh-huh. Uh And then we had basically volunteered one of our teammates yep. to get up and do it. So uh, I'll Love just. It. A reading from the diary. <laughs> so, uh, apologies in advance. It's only very brief. I'll, I'll cut out a little bit. So, it's uh, 11th of October, 8.15. Uh, later at the Metrodome, Megadrome nightclub, Brother O'Keefe, Phil O'Keefe, I'm going to dob him in, who's, um, who's an assistant coach at Werribee at the moment, is set up by his teammates to enter the amateur strip contest. He's pitted against two desirable females, one is a dead set bloke but has great tits. <laughs> and the other stool pigeon, stool pigeon we'll later find out actually works for the Megadrome. After the two te- females teasingly and provocatively tint- titillate the audience with their slow climactic strip set to provocative music, it's Phil's turn. The music begins, the spotlight focuses on Phil. The audience is hushed and attentive. Suddenly, without warning, Phil rips open his fly, pulls down his jocks and pants in one fell swoop and bears his wedding tackle to an amazed but appreciative audience (laughs) who go right off whilst the compere almost swallows swallows the microphone calling for the lights to be turned off and Phil to stop contravening all of Queensland obscenity laws. (laughs) The... Security rushed this stage trying to pull Phil's jeans up while Phil is laying <laughs> prostrate on the floor. He simply put his stubby on the floor to take his pants off and just stood there with his arms raised. So uh, it, it sticks out in my mind as something that just was hysterical to all of us because we didn't think he'd do anything like that. Yep. But he just 
pulled all of his pants and chops oh, well, down in one go You're and just Queensland. stood there. And the rest of the crowd, it was quite a big crowd from memory, they just went absolutely bug nutty. That's amazing. And that Megadrome, so it's it was called the Megadrome. I've got no such great, great recollection name. of it. Such mm. a Gold Coast name. That should it? be the name of the, uh, the Gold Coast Suns footy ground, the Megadrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In honour of. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so you were awarded a download at the end of the trip? Uh, I, I awarded it, yes. For the, you got votes each day, so it was 3 two, one and just collated the votes at the end of the trip to find out uh, who was the winner. Surely and Phil got it then. No. Oh, uh, I'm not sure if you remember the name Zeno Tatsaris. So my time at, the, the, at Footscray, the Western Bulldogs, he was the far away the, uh, the outright favourite each year and, and won. Yeah, right. Yeah. Back to back. He was he was a an absolute dynamo. Maybe off-field. maybe he's partying off field. It's why we don't remember the names. <laughs> you know, well, it was the first time I'd ever been to a, a party at someone's house where you have a keg in the lounge room. Uh-huh. So he'd tap a keg for his parties, uh, which was pretty impressive to me at that stage as a, a young fella. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's a way to do it. Okay, so after you after your playing career, you became an assistant coach under Terry Wheeler. Yes, and you had about what was it, about eight eight or nine years as an assistant. Ten. Ten years. Did you, did you enjoy being assistant coach? I really did because... Three or so of them under Wheeler. Yeah, and then the rest of them are Pagan. Yes. Under Pagan. Dennis yes. Pagan. So I had a, a couple under Wheels and then one with Alan Joyce. Oh, yeah. And then I went over to North under Dennis. Uh, and how did you know Dennis? Did he get you on board? He coached me in the 19s. Okay, right. Yeah. Of course. Yes. So I, I knew him. He knew me, obviously. Yep. Um, so I went there in uh, the end of 85... To start the 80, the 96 season, 96, yes. And uh, we won the premiership in the first year. Golden touch. Which was magnificent, yeah. I brought home the bacon. Yeah. Yeah. So are you in the box, if we're watching replays of that, are you in the box alongside Dennis Pagan? Sure am. Yeah, great. Yeah. 96 on 99, for the grand final in 99, I was on the field because I was a runner. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, for two years I was a runner. The other years at North, those other seven or so years I was in the box. Yeah. And so how involved are you? Like, uh, is it it's a full-time job? Yep, and uh, you, yeah, what are you doing? You having meetings all week, or you? So it's professional football at this stage. Training during the day. Yep. Uh, I was backline coach for a couple of years. Forward line coach coached Wayne Carey for a couple of years. If that's the way you can explain it. Yeah. How do you how do you tell Wayne Carey what to do? You go out at quarter time and whack him on the bum and say, "How are we going?" He goes, "No worries, mate." Yep. And that's it. No yep. instruction. Uh, or the only instruction would come f- back from Wayne would be to say, uh, tell Sholey and Croc to get out of my way, push him up the field or yep. whatever. Um, so, so Pagan's paddock became or came into being because Kerry wanted that space, not because of anything Dennis Pagan organised? We never referred to it as Pagan's paddock. Yep. And it, it evolved just so that we could give Wayne space. Yep. So everyone just pushed, pushed up, up the ground. And allowed the ball to be kicked into space, yep. and gave Wayne the best chance to be one on one. Opposition clubs would drop a player back all the time, and that's where we try and look to short to Shoal or Crocker or Fridge Roberts was a master at lurking around the place. Brett Allison had just feed off the long kick that came in, mm-hmm. and because we had Wayne, it was just you know it worked because he was just such a dominant player. Mm. Yeah. So when he went down with the club. Uh you know, if he was getting beaten on the day, would the club generally, like at halftime, was a feeling around that we can't win because Wayne's not having a, a good one? Not particularly, no. Uh, 
consistently a good club over that time yep. with a great winning record. Yeah, a lot so of, at a any lot of stage, oh, yeah. Yeah, at any stage, yeah, six or seven. Yeah, six or seven in a row. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any stage during a game, we never thought we were out of it. Yep. So we, you know, the confidence was always there we could come back, even if Wayne wasn't having a, a great day. And I, the, the mark of Wayne of a, as a player, the amount of times that I thought after a game, immediately after a game, I'd think, gee, Wayne was a bit off today. And then you'd actually go through the stats and review the tape and you'd see that he had 20 kicks, four marks and kicked two goals. If his name was... Yeah. yeah, someone yeah. else, you'd think, geez, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. You're a but victim of your own success. Yeah. So he didn't have too many games where he was just no good. Yeah. yeah. He, he's, he was the best player I've seen. And he yeah. would have been chirpy on the field? Very much. Yeah. 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 Very alpha male, very. Very confident in his own ability. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and told everyone about it too. Yep. Yep. But as you saw on the field, he, he could back it up. Well, he kind of owned Melbourne at that stage, didn't he? He did. He was the king. Well, he is the king. Oh, yeah. He's the king. Yeah. yeah. And so how were you at giving a bake? I didn't really have to at North, yeah. particularly because Dennis was the master. So you've got to know your role as assistant coach too. The players can't just be berated. And that those were the days to a certain extent of still... Um, Getting personal. Yes. Yeah. Certainly doesn't happen like that these days. Would Pagan days. be one of the final one of those coaches? Or would he classify oh, as one Ro- of those coaches? I reckon Rocket Eads still goes pretty yep. well in yep. that regard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and maybe Ross Lyon, I would suspect, yes. wouldn't be too bad behind closed doors. Yeah. But it's not the norm yep. anymore. No. Much much more uh, conciliatory or level-headed, I, I suppose, the way you say it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's the feeling when you win the Premiership, 96? The, the initial feeling is relief mm. because you really go into the game thinking that you're going to win. We were, we were the best team, I believe, in 96. So anything other than winning it would have been just devastating, which in 98 it was when we lost. But in 96 it was relief to say, oh, you know, that's just glad that's over. And that's when you can celebrate sort of the next day. Yep. And you hear a lot from people, but you go back to the social club and you see all of the people who had been waiting all those years yep. since 77 to actually get another one. And that's what gave you a heap of joy. Um, and then the, the five or six days after that, it was... On. On. <laughs> did know. Dennis Pagan celebrate? Is he... Yeah, he did. Hearted? Yeah, he did. Yep. Uh, Got up on stage however, with hands down? Yeah, yeah, not quite. Okay, okay. But it's not the Pagan I era. also remember Dennis was... Very quickly on to, okay, now we've got a plan for next, next year. year. Yes, yes. Yeah, even back then. Because if I remember correctly, the Swans were about four goals up in that grand final. Was there a bit of panic? How do you, are you calm and measured or are you going, no. oh, no? We caught up by half time. Glenn Freeborn kicked three in the second quarter to get us back into the game. So if it had been a bit close at half time or we had been down by that much at half time, I think we would have been starting to worry a bit. But yep. no, we were, we were back in the game and... And I really believe we were going to win it. Mm-hmm. I felt confident enough that we'd, we'd come over the top in the second half. Whereas in 98, we actually we kicked 2-11 in the second quarter against Adelaide and shot ourselves two in eleven. the foot. 2-11. Oh. And uh, it was hot, blustery, and, yeah. and um, we You're, gutted. You were up at half-time, though, is that Yes, right? we were still up. By much? Not much, yeah. but we were dominating. Yeah. To, mm. to have you know, 13 shots a goal yeah, in a grand final... Um, and to waste that opportunity, that, that was the, the one that sticks in my mind most. Mm. Now, you were a runner, a runner at North. Did um, Dennis Pagan enjoy shooting the messenger? 
Well, it did to a certain extent. Fortunately, because I was a coach, it wasn't so much um, directed at me. Yeah, but, but you had to take the phone the phone call, didn't you, and then yes. relay that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was there's certainly some um, some venom in some of the stuff that he said. A lot of venom coming back from players that I had to... Um, filter? Filter. Yep. And back from umpires, there was a, a really memorable one that uh, sticks in my mind. I'd never really liked Darren Goldspink as an umpire all that much. <laughs> and uh, Dennis had a, a habit of dragging a player who'd give a 50-metre penalty away. It was yep. just his thing. If you yep. give a 50 away, off straight away. The players would know to do it themselves. Um, however, we, give, we gave a 50 away. It was unclear about what happened. So Dennis said to me, go out and... Ask the umpire who gave that fifty away. <laughs> so, because he wanted to drag him. Yeah, yeah. So I ran out to Darren Goldspin, got in front of him so he could see that I was addressing him, and said, oh, "Dennis wants to know what that fifty was for and who gave it." And he looked at me and he didn't say anything. And I said, "Dennis wants to know who gave the fifty away." Yeah. And he said to me, "Go and tell Dennis to get effed." <laughs> And I couldn't wait to get back to the, the phone <laughs> quick enough. And I yelled down the phone to Dennis, Darren Goldsby told you to go and get effed. And Dennis almost swallowed his tongue. He what? And he got completely distracted for a little period of time, asking me if, if what I was saying was true. Anyway, we missed the 50. The play had gone on and it was, the moment was lost. But That's great. I just couldn't wait to get back and dob on the umpire. Well, actually, 1999, you win another flag. So would have been would you guys have been planning to play Eston the whole year? No, no. So we uh, there was myself, Norm Dare, Tony Elshaw, and Dennis went to the preliminary final, uh, sitting next to each other. In fact, Jeff Walsh was there as well, the footy manager, uh, all sitting there in the stand. I was forward line coach. I think in '99, um, and the runner. So I was taking notes about Carl, uh, about Essendon's backline. Mm-hmm. Tony Elshaw was the midfield coach. He was doing notes on Essendon. So we all we went there to to make our notes on Essendon. Yeah, and we were. I reckon it was halfway through the last quarter, and we all started looking at each other and said, "Is anyone taking notes on Carlton?" Oh, dude. Uh, and no, and. Uh, so we, we left. So you just wrote down Cuda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were, we were as amazed as anyone that, that Carlton got yeah. through. And, um, and I, I, once again, I was pretty confident going in the game. Don't want to sound too confident or arrogant. But Carlton had played their, their grand final in the prelim, hadn't Probably. They? They'd spent Probably, it. Yeah. yes. And so, uh, yeah, we were, we were quite pleased. Having said that, it's, Essendon people like to sprout a lot that, you know, if they had got to the grand final in 99, they would have won it. I don't believe that. Yeah. Uh, we, were, well, we, were, we were primed at the right time. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you became a footy manager after that. Yes. And what, what, never quite understood, what's the role of the footy manager? So you do everything. In those days, it was contracting the players, uh, organising the operational aspects of the club, training, venues, all the other staff, um, looking, overseeing the recruiting Okay, it's um, massive. Match committee. Yeah. How do you find the time? Well, you couldn't. That's why the job got split up later on down the track so that you had a list manager who then looked after recruiting yep. and contracting. So the footy manager equivalent of these days would be like uh, Neil Baum? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. So all-encompassing role. What does occur, though, is you find out a lot about uh, the off-field stuff that players uh, 
get in all sorts of personal issues. So you're, you're much more in tune mm. with their private lives. So were you the first person they call if something goes wrong at home or anything yes. like that? Okay. Yeah. Or in the case of someone like Shannon Grant who got in a bit of strife about his uh, nightlife and um, and staying out about too, a bit too late. So I cancelled Shannon a fair bit. We become good friends and um, he'd regularly ring me about three in the morning to say he was home safe on a Saturday night, which was really um, thoughtful of him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Uh, on my mobile, <laughs> just to let me know that everything was okay. Good, good. Yeah. That's good. So were you the first person that got the call about the Wayne Carey? No, I was a coach at that stage. Oh, okay. I was still coaching. Do you remember when that unfolded, the yes, whole Wayne Carey incident? Yeah, I do. So yeah, you weren't at the Barbie? No. Okay. No. Uh, I was... I mean, we probably make light of it. It was really serious. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it was really shocking. Just didn't think anything like that had happened at our club or... Uh, in footy, I suppose it happens in life, in life so yeah. I shouldn't have yeah. been too shocked, probably naive about it, but I really did fear for the club at that stage. I thought we'd go under because it just created a huge gap in the club. Wayne was just the leader of the club, um, a, a dominating figure, and for him to go, I thought, I don't know where we're going to go from here. I'm not sure that we're going to survive on the field, off the field, but the resilience of the club just shows you how good we were at that stage because we bounced back, you know, within a couple of years, bigger and better than ever. How, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, how did you hold it together then? Who who were one of the people who stepped up? Because of the circumstance, uh, Anthony Stevens, Glenn Archer, John Blakey, Robert Scott, and then to a lesser extent uh, in a year or two after that, Adam Simpson just emerged as yep. someone who we didn't ever think was no, sorry didn't expect to have to be a leader yep. because we expected these other blokes to be around and Wayne to be around for a while but Simo became a real leader in his own right and he became almost as a dominating figure around the club as Wayne Carey was I um I mean I remember reading at the time that Boris the chicken was very influential. <laughs> yes, that was an unfortunate really episode. Up. Yes, fortunately I wasn't at the club at that stage, but it was a bit of a hiccup. Would that wasn't be it? something the footy manager would have to yes. deal with? Okay. Yes, you have kittens about those ones, those yep. sort of phone calls. What were you thinking? You know, how could you let this occur? All those types. How of did you release this video? Yes, how yep. to get made? What were you, yeah, just all those. What was the timeline of... Uh, was Wayne Carey, after the incident happened, was he going to stay at the club? Like, was there talk that we can no. move on from here? Was it no. straight away he going to go? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, players made it very clear. Yeah, not going to play with him. Yep. That's one of the massive stories in the history of the AFL. And it's weird because it's, it's, it's an affair. Like, it's got nothing to do with football. Football, and yeah, but I guess you've lost the trust of your teammates. They can't story. look you in the eye. But didn't it... I think that one of the benefits that I'd read about it was it gave a lot of the players who, like Adam Simpson, would never have had a voice under well, Wayne Carey. Now that he's gone, people, you know, stepped into the void. Exactly. Uh, and apart from that, that was the biggest thing, that people had to step up. But in a financial sense, that uh, Wayne was such a... Uh, highly paid player yeah. to keep him and to, I think he might have been coming out of contract at the end of that year I'm, I'm a bit vague about that but for him to go on at the club would have meant that we were in, under all sorts of pressure yep. salary cap wise yeah. and that would have changed the, the list we would have had to have um, retire players some really good players who who still played four or five years at the club yeah. so their Just future would have been put into, into the into a question mark so after your period at North your football manager there for about five or six years. 
One year as list manager Five as well. Five years, yeah. A couple of years as a list manager, yes. Under Laidley? Yes, with Dean. Yep. yep. You made a prelim in uh, 2007. Yes, yeah, against the odds. So mm. that was a great effort again. Um, with a team that was uh, probably overperforming a lot of the time mm-hmm. um, in, in comparison to what perhaps other playing lists had at that stage. Mm-hmm. So it was a great, great coaching effort by Dean particularly and his team. Yeah, because I remember he got flogged in a qualifying by Geelong, I think by about 120 points or yeah, something. Yeah, particularly badly. He came back against Hawthorne and then went over to uh, Adelaide and played Port. That's when, um, uh, what's his name? Cap- Captain um, Treadray. Bowed. Yes. Ah, right. Yeah, that, that yeah. prelim. It's a bit arrogant. Yeah. And then off to Melbourne. Yes, spent five years at Melbourne. And so what was the list. reason for the switch there? Uh, this is when list managers came into vogue. Mm-hmm. So I was list manager at North and had spent a lot of time there, obviously. Um, I'd probably run my race there and was... Um, was time for something new at North and was time for something new for me. Uh, Melbourne didn't have a list manager, so they just went out and looked for someone who'd done the role before and... Couldn't tell. ...plonked me in to, to try and uh, help out there. Uh, and it's obviously not a great period of time for the club for all sorts of reasons. Uh, however, very progressive CEO and uh, very forward-thinking football person, Cameron Swab. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, a, and a very progressive board who were willing to be very, very innovative with the, the salary cap and how they contracted players, um, which they're still seeing the benefits of today, I believe. Um, so there was some good that came of the year in, in terms of payments to players, but on field we were very ordinary. So when you say list manager, are you calling the final name on draft day? Or are you going out to games and watching, you know, young kids run around? Different clubs do it different ways. Yep. So at Melbourne, it was mostly about revamping all of the contracts and trying to project salary caps into three and four and five years down the track. Yep. Um, because we, we weren't in premiership mode. Yep. So if that's the case, what are you doing to allow yourself to be able to attract Mitch Clark to the club? Sure. How are you going to get Chris Dawes? How are you going to try and get people two or three years down the track, as well as keeping your own players who will go up in wages over the years. Yeah. What are you doing to basically bulletproof your salary cap? And then oversee the recruiting yeah. under the recruiting department and making sure that they've got a system to work to and it's in alignment with the coaching style, with the game plan that the coach of the yeah, day wow. has got. It's a lot of long-term thinking, isn't it? It is. It's much, it's much more of a strategic long-term yeah. thinking role. Absolutely. So yeah. you're... You're planning for a flag like five years down the track yep. and how are you going to keep that list together? Yeah, and managing expectations. So, uh, so look, in reality, we aren't in premiership mode and we're not going to be in premiership mode for at least two or three years. Yep. So what can we do in these two or three years? What does that mean for the coach? Yep. What does that mean for what sort of contract he's on? Are we a development team at the moment? Yeah. Making sure the board understand that hoping that you can give that sort of messaging out to your supporters to say, look... It's in place. It's in place, yeah. However, uh, all sorts of outside forces... Well, like Tom Scully. Yeah. How do you compete with that? No, you you couldn't. No, you don't. Like, you knew from day... Like, you know, the day he said, I'm... I'm going to hold off contract talks for a year. Did you know he's gone? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, alarm bells go off. Yep. And I'm speaking to his manager regularly saying, you know, it just doesn't feel good. Who was he? The manager? Peter Blutcher. No, it wasn't the guy with thought. <laughs> it wasn't Liam Pickering. He seems uh, like a very honest man. It wasn't Pickers. <laughs> okay. No, no, it wasn't Pickers. It was uh, Peter Blutcher. Uh, 
who unfortunately a bit later on got in strife over the Kurt Tippett deal. Um, uh, <laughs> good. So... And then yeah. also, in, I mean, apart from players, you know, going off for cash and stuff like that, uh, things like uh, Dean Bailey and Jim Steins, like they rock the club as well, don't they? Yes. And there's and they're unpredict- unpredictable. How do you, I mean, you can't plan for that, obviously. No. Well, Jim's illness, Jim Stein's illness, as he was as president, really sort of rocked us as well. Mm. So, you know, he was sick for a long time, mm. um, trying to deal with that for him and support him. Um, and that then has implications for other stuff that's going around the club as well yeah but you're always when you're working in an environment that's really intense and has a lot of public scrutiny you do sort of bunker down a lot and try and yeah help each other out that can mean that you get a bit insular about things and very protective and defensive sometimes so uh you can start making decisions or start getting a bit um battle weary i think without knowing about it uh, as a as a collective, yeah, just fatigued yeah. from it all. And then if you're not winning on the field, yeah, uh, that that just accentuates things. And that's when decisions can be made that are irrational or forced by outside forces. You sack a coach, or you deviate from what your contracting strategy was supposed to be, or a recruiting strategy supposed to be for short term gain. And a lot of the work that you're planning to do can be either have a speed hump or get kicked out. Yep. And we were you there? I'm just looking at the timeline. Uh, Jack Watts. I wasn't there when he was selected. Bang. No, that's all I need to hear. No. So Melbourne fans, you left him alone. <laughs> <laughs> Are you bullish about Melbourne's prospects at the minute? This year, yes, yeah. because I, I, I think I've heard, talked to a few fans who are going. Oh, we're very excited about this year. Yeah, and I, Jesse Hogan's just an absolute. The monster, isn't he? He's a great. He's just a, the old-fashioned style footballer. When I yeah. first saw him, he really reminded me of Barry Round. Mm-hmm. So he's got these long arms and he's this sort of sideways walking motion, and he's he's got some nastiness to him, and he's um he's that old-style footballer who doesn't mind mixing it up with yep. his opponents and a bit rough around the edges, but he's going to be a beauty. It's great. It's what Melbourne needs, isn't it? Yeah, you need yeah. you need some um, some real focus up forward. Um, if you're going to be a good team, and he's he certainly got that, and he's proved it last year. So who do you barrack for? You've been I was about to ask been, the same thing. You've been with a third <laughs> of the league. Yeah. Yes. Who do you follow? North Melbourne. I grew up in that area. I'm a life member. Yep. Um, I've got family connections there. My father-in-law is a life member. My uncle is a life member. Um, so, you know, that's where I started, and that's where my heart is. And one of the uh, junkets when you're at Melbourne, oh, junket, that's work, work holiday. <laughs> I'm fascinated by, you went to the, uh, the USA Combine. Yes. To watch the players. Uh, I mean, we've got a couple of players from America now. You, you think that's going to keep working? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love the honesty. It's, it's a ballsy decision to take someone on who hasn't played the game. And I'm really interested to see how um, the fellow at Collingwood's going to go Cox. this year. Yes. Yeah. So he looks really good. Early days. I mean, it helps. Some he's seven foot tall, isn't he? Yes. So, yeah. yeah. You've got to start there. Uh, Do you think it's because it's a 360-degree game that, that that is just almost non-existent in anything they come up with? Yeah, we're a very unique game. Yeah. Uh, and to judge the flight of the ball, um, to be able to position yourself, to understand what 17 other blokes on the ground are going to do who are your teammates and then 18 other people who are opposition is just... There's no other sports that are like it. Yep. Uh, I reckon you have to have a really strong grounding and it might take the best of athletes a minimum of three or four or five years. Um, 
But have a club's got that amount of patience to go with someone in the list yeah. for three or four or five years and put the amount of resource, research, resource into them yeah. to sustain a career, I think that's probably there might be a couple out of the box. And that would yeah. be it, I yeah. would suggest. Yeah. There would be some incredible athletes that you would have seen, though, at oh, those combines. Um, for all sorts of reasons. Um, basketballers who could jump like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, there was a, a decathlete in one year that I went who was just magnificent athlete all round. Um, I think, though, that probably the basketballers have got the best chance. Yep. Um, some of the soccer players, perhaps, there was a, a really good soccer player the first year. But um, it's the, the skills of the, the oval ball that mm. really catches them out. Well, I guess that's the thing too. They might be uh, good, really good at one element of the game, but their all-round game falls apart. Like if you're a basketballer, you've got the great tap out, you might be able to leap high, but yeah, as soon as it goes to ground or as soon as you've got to run somewhere, you've got no clue. If yeah. you're a footballer, you could probably catch it. Yes. But uh, maybe yeah, you can't beyond that, yeah. kick it. Yeah. Well, bouncing it would be incredibly complicated, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Zach Tui's first bounce went back over his head. But he's really improved since then. <laughs> yeah, so I think they're up against it. And mm. uh, look, it's worth uh, it's worth pursuing if you really believe you've got someone you're going to put four years yeah. into, five years yeah, into. Yeah. You'd almost want to get them at 13 or 14, wouldn't you? A lot instead of getting them what, at 21. Yes. And yeah. in the States, as you know, the, the system is very different. Uh, their college system is different, so they're older. Yeah. Uh, and the people who are looking to actually make the transition into Australian rules are older, yep. which is good as far as yeah. um, coping with a different lifestyle in a different country. However, it means that they haven't had the skill level, yeah. the skill training. I mean, I, I chat to a lot of 13 and 14-year-olds online, yeah, and sure. a lot of them have never heard of <laughs> AFL footy. So it's just, it's tough. <laughs> but part of that trip was that you got to go to the NFL draft. I did. That it was fascinating. Oh, it was wild. What, it was, town, what town were you in? It was in New York. Yeah, great. Radio City Music Hall. No way. Three days. Uh, three-day draft. Three-day draft. You boo Roger Goodell? Boo. You, oh, you boo everyone. That's, that's <laughs> something that I just could not get used to. So you have to have uh, – there's tickets that the public can get, but they have to go in a lottery and then on the day that you get your ticket for. So you're one in bugger all chance of getting a ticket. If you do get one, you line up for hours and hours beforehand to get the best seats. So the draft. Fortunately, I was, I was in the VIP area – and uh, the, the, the commissioner comes out on the first day. The crowd just give it to him like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> you can't hear what he's saying. They're just going ballistic. And I thought, how disrespectful is this? But apart from that, when they call out the names of the players who are drafting, that they got drafted, the supporters from that team boo that player <laughs> as well because they don't want that don't particular want time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, for some of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who went number one the year that you were there? Oh, I knew you'd ask me that, and I don't remember. It was a. So what year summer, was it? Uh, this was in f- three years ago, I reckon. So wasn't it wasn't RG three. No. Wasn't Robert Griffin the third? No, back then. Okay, no. I I don't remember who it was. Yep. Um, but it's just a, a completely different experience. There's screens everywhere with the highlights of the players. You get yep. in the first round ten minutes to make the call. So. In the meantime, waiting for the call, there's all this stuff going on at the actual draft itself to keep the crowd amused or at bay um, <laughs> before they go completely off their nut. And uh, when they make the call, it's just full on. And then that person can actually get traded later on the draft. So you're not actually that sure that yeah, you right. to keep that person. Were they, uh, do you think that that's what we're trying to do here? 
at, like you know doing that big presentation on the Gold Coast and yeah, making it as wanky as possible. It a bit. Yes, yeah. yes. It'd never get to the stage that I saw. Uh, I was out the front waiting to go in, and I had to push off to the side at one stage because the limousine had rolled up with the armoured um, armoured truck and I thought, what's going on here? And they, they got the security guards <laughs> bought out the special edition caps for the day that got escorted down the red carpet with <laughs> um, the live television coverage. I mean, of, you laugh, but we all forget in 78 when 35 people died trying to get those caps, so... <laughs> So you did a bit of fact-finding while you are there? You went to maybe a few clubs? Or? Yes, went to the NFL headquarters. Yep. Uh, went to Washington to speak to Mark Levins, who's the salary cap and agent manager oh, yeah. um, of the NFL PA. Are they straight to the head or are we keeping up? Or? Uh, no, they're, they're a fair bit advanced, but it's a very different environment. Yep. So very much um, there's much more mobility between clubs for players. Uh, they're mm. very, very stringent on the rules and their CBA compared to us, which is, I reckon, to our benefit. Um, we're more inclined to have players stay at a club compared to them, even though there is um, greater mobility in the AFL these days. But uh, they are very, very regulated about the training they can do, what the club can actually ask a player to do. Um, for example, they only have, I think it's 10 helmeted sessions a year. I'm making that up a little bit, where they can actually get fully kitted and go right. for it. Actually play, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, they, they have a big influence of their agents over yep. players compared to what we have here. So it's a different environment. Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, I suppose we'll wrap it up shortly, but I see that you've printed out a player profile from the footy record. I did only because we mentioned Mike Amira before and... Um, I did try and sell Mike Amira through the player profile in the footy record. <laughs> Can we go through? So when would you have been? When, when would you have written this? This is uh, this is in 1990, I reckon. 1990. So yeah, you're at so the, uh, at Footscray. At Footscray. Yeah, so my 85 Camira. So you get asked what sort of car you got, your favourite yep. hobbies, your favourite movie. Do you want to go movie. through it with Tim there? Yeah, let's have a quick little. We read. love. We love. We love the did they have profile? your favourite film there? Probably would have. Die Hard? Is it going to be Die Hard back then? Maybe you can ask me, Michael. I'll try and guess what Tim's favourite things would have been back then. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, Let me see. Uh, Favourite food? Oh, pasta. Uh, All. Everything. Okay, good on you. Bit of a guts. Yep. Um, Here we go. Favourite drink? Oh, there's there's one I reckon that you might get here. Southern and Comfort. Southern Comfort. (laughs) Bang. Yes, for (laughs) bang. Yeah, all over it. Uh, (laughs) Favourite, favourite, favourite movies... Oh, you're not going to get any of these. Oh, okay. Of oh. course, you're a bit eclectic. Uh, is it like Dog Day Afternoon or something weird like that? I got it. It's a mad, mad, mad world. There's uh-huh. like a combination. Yep. Um, Life of Brian, oh, Paris, yeah. Sex. It's like, like yeah. I mean, yeah. This is not your regular, not your regular player Probably profile. Because we know no. now that every player loves Shawshank Redemption or Anchorman. Which I can't have. No, I'm just reading over it myself. River's Edge. That's a great movie. Hunt that then if you can. And I'm sure your favorite, <laughs> your favorite bands too. I mean, actually, ACDC would get a fair run even today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tism. I don't think no one's. I don't think anyone's no, mentioned Tism. I don't Tism. think anyone heard of Tism. <laughs> the that's Smiths. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you get uh, run out of a club for Huxton that. Creepers. Yeah. The, the Cramps. <laughs> Jesus yeah. and Mary Chain. Wow. I don't think there was too many people no, who were I think interested. You're by yourself Died pretty. Out in the field. <laughs> the best band of all time. Check them the, out. The famous yeah. uh, Chimera. That's yeah, yeah. Right. How did you try to get rid of the Camaro? Car it says eighty-five Camaro sedan, five-speed air conditioning, seventy-five thousand kilometres, mm. grass stereo system, <laughs> nine and a half thousand dollars on nearest offer. Not bad. And I reckon I got six grand for it. 
Disappointing. What colour was it? Like a kind of tanny... No, red. Red? Red. Red cars go faster. That's great. Football ambition, to think of myself as a VFL player, play 100 games, play in a Footscray Premiership team, also to do a drop kick. Okay, so did you have to do a drop kick? Uh, not in a game. Okay, so you didn't do any of those? No, I didn't do any of that. So I'm <laughs> big cross, big fail. That's a shame because the yeah. dogs have won like five or six flags since in then. In the meantime. Yeah, you really missed out. Yes. Oh, oh, thank you so much that. for joining us, Tim. It's fantastic. I've Absolutely enjoyed it. fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. It's been brilliant just yeah. to get a... a, a I mean, it's amazing the players that you played on. It's just phenomenal. The stories you've got are great. Yeah, I've been fortunate, as I said, because uh, I was a shabby player. Uh, I got uh, access to three clubs yeah. and um, and then coached as well. So I've been really lucky. Footy's treated me well. And you're not in footy at the moment. Is there any hope to go back to it? Uh, I've got some desire, yeah. but I would say that I'd like to do it um, so that it was a little bit more family friendly. Yeah, would be okay. the way to say it with uh, young kids these days. And footy is more and more twenty four seven, huge scrutiny, big big time commitment. So yeah, yeah, I'd be a baby bit steps. Judicious. Yeah, you know, get a job selling the record or something, and then just move <laughs> yeah, on from there. Exactly, yeah. that'd be me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Tim. See you later. Thanks, Bye. Tim. Thank you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.